When you know that God's at work through you, there's joy in that. And that's the heart of this, this preaching series for the one. I need you to catch constantly the heart because I would feel sick if this ever became a, a have-to or a kind of program. Evangelism, when it becomes a program, becomes religion really quick. But when we remember the heartbeat of how Jesus died a painful, horrible death, God died a painful, horrible death on that cross just to make a way to Him. Remember 1 Peter 3, 18, God died once, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. The cross was so people could get saved. And when you get that, you see people out there that don't know Jesus, you're like, whoa, God loves you so much. And I just want you to experience how much he loves you. Like That's it. You might not like some things about our church. It might take you a while to get rid of some habits. But if you can experience the love of God, you'll be forever changed. And that's the heartbeat. That's our true north. That's not only the true north of our church, but the church is to see people radically saved and discipled. If we don't keep thinking that way, we might start inviting you know, Christians from other churches just so we can get more numbers, and that's not a win. If they're not going to church, great. We want to see them plugged into a church, but it's not numbers for numbers' sake. It's salvation, right? It's a life change. It's people set free. Otherwise, if we're not seeing that as our true north, when someone comes in here and they're disrupting things or they're swearing or they're having a cigarette out the front, we might get our feathers ruffled until we remember our true north is salvation. Our true north is lives changed. And, and when they, they give their life to God, that's not them crossing the finish line. That's the, the start of the race. That's the gun going off. Now we get to partner with them, make disciples, hang out with them, teach them how to read the Bible, teach them how to pray. Jesus did that for the three and a half years he was here. And so we're going through this for six weeks for the one. It will never stop blowing me away that Jesus Christ, God came to the earth, as I just said, to save mankind. And he does this in three and a half years. And even then he focuses all his time on 12. And even then he takes time out frequently for individuals. Like that doesn't make sense if, if from a business point of view, from an impact point of view, from a brand awareness point of view. That doesn't make sense. He should be doing the kind of Billy Graham crusades around the world. Here's the million. I went to this island or this place and there was millions of people. I preached. I got saved. So I moved on. And he stops at people's houses like a Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, man, I got to come to your house and have lunch. It doesn't make sense. A lot of the things, but it reminds us of the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. That as much as he cares for the world, which he does, he does that through individuals. And that helps us because then our prayer isn't God save Corumban or Chugan or Palm Beach or Eleanor or Burley or any other suburb. It's God save, save my family member, save my brother, save my, save my work colleague. And we're focusing on people. We're looking at them. We're picturing them when we're praying. It makes it so much more personal. We bond. We think about it. We intercede for them. And we rejoice more when that person gets saved. And suddenly on Christmas, we might have 50 people saved or we might have one. And may we still rejoice the same. May our church still celebrate and boast and thank God the same because someone received Jesus Christ. That's the goal for the one. So if you've got your Bible, please go to Luke chapter 10. I actually think I forgot to give it to the screens this week, so I better read it myself. Luke chapter 10, I was uh, talking to you guys a few weeks ago, just, you know, 
food, fun thoughts. Say it's 15. Luke 10, verse 25. There's the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Revelation. Uh, some fun things to remember, you know, when you're getting to know Scripture is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're called the four Gospels. They're four different people's accounts of Jesus' life. And Luke was the only Gentile. Luke was the only non-Jew to write one of those books. And he was a doctor. And he actually went, he actually wrote Acts as well and does this amazing um, professional report of what happened and, and the life of Jesus and the apostles. And, and the, the cool thing to think about Luke is a, a massive part of his heart while writing this gospel was what I call the least, the last, and the lost. And so you will see stories in here you see in no other gospel. Like he speaks about the... um he speaks about the Good Samaritan here in John chapter 10. You won't read that anywhere else. He speaks about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You won't read about that anywhere else. He, he speaks about the, the thief on the cross who repents. You won't read those in any other accounts. You'll read, he speaks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. You won't read about that anywhere else. He speaks about these people who were just outcasts. And he wanted to really paint a picture for Theophilus, who he's writing the book to, like Jesus came not just for the elite, came for the least, the last, the lost, the outcasts. And so it's great lens to read Luke through and remind ourselves of our Savior. Didn't come to, to keep his hands clean, but really go after people. And so we pick up here in Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10, verse 25, and it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You've got to love people. I'm one of those people. But isn't that funny? People's heart. Let's put, let's put God to the test, <laughs> saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Great question. Ask yourself that constantly. How do you read God's gospel? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Catch this. But the lawyer, but he desiring to justify himself. That's, that's a bad position to be in. Said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side of the road. Great Christian response. Verse 32. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side of the road. Some of your versions say that uh, he actually got close. He, he was there and then he crossed over the other side of the road. And verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus says, Which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man he, uh, who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Profound story, a story I've loved for a long time that has a great message in it. If you're taking notes, one more verse to write down is John chapter 15, 
verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And as I said before, help the aspects of our heart or mind that don't love you. Help us love you even more. Help us crave to be in your presence even more. As we read your word, may it not just be to learn it or get to know it, but to discover you and understand you in your word. As we pray, may it not be to just throw out shopping list requests, but get to know you. As we worship, may it be not to appear holy, but to get to know you. God, we want to get to know you. And as we get to know you, I truly pray that we get to know your heart for people that don't yet know you. May we never live this life out of religion or have-tos, but out of a, a, a love for you, may we develop a love for the lost. And help us with that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, in my experience of uh, being honest with you guys and, and being in this church and being in Corumban most of my life, this suburb, when I think about evangelism and when I think about actually, we could broaden it to say Western world, even Australia, I think there's a hesitation to one-on-one evangelism. That's fantastic. I love Siri. She's awesome, isn't she? Don't be Megan. Welcome back. Lovely to see you guys working around Australia. So good to see you back. I think there's a hesitation that comes towards evangelism for two aspects. Number one, it's uncomfortable. But number two, it's been done poorly in the past. I would look at that and agree 100%. And I think that the uncomfortableness is what we have to constantly kill. And when it's been done poorly in the past, we have to readdress and change our perspective on it. I remember reading a story. And when you read a story in a book, you never know what's true and what's not. But anyway, it sounds good. It's a good story. So uh, about 100 years ago, there was a, a guy working. There was a shoe factory in America, and they wanted to go international. Part of their new vision they launched was to go international. And so they appointed a new sales rep, and they sent him to Africa to go over there and start a new uh, a, a, a branch of their shoe company business, to take this, this shoe company over there. And after a few months, they receive word back from him. And his word is, send my return airfare ASAP. No one here wears shoes. <laughs> Came back, they reappointed him, gave him a different role in the business and it was it was funny a few years later a new vice president comes up through the ranks and he discovers this same vision statement he rereads it it's to be international and he reads about the report that they tried to go here and it, it didn't work for these reasons and so he looks for someone new in the business he finds a, a new staff member he sends him to the exact same spot and he says no I think this could work and as he sends the new staff member there a few months later they receive word yet again send me as many shoes as possible. No one here wears shoes. (laughs) Do you notice how you can see the exact same problem but have a different perspective on it? And your impact doesn't vary based on the problem. Your impact varies on how you're viewing it. I agree with you. Evangelism in the Western world has been, not as always, has been done poorly at times. 
I won't go into what I would call poorly, but if you're shouting at people to give their life to a God who is love, otherwise they're going to burn in hell. I think it's a bad ultimatum. I think they missed the why of the gospel. And Jesus often gave us the why or the love, the heartbeat behind it. But anyway, and so I think instead of saying, well, that's, that's an issue I can't deal with, if we shift our perspective on the issue at hand, I think suddenly we're going to start to view it differently. Instead of I don't want to evangelize or tell my unsaved work colleague about Jesus because they've had a bad experience, I think we could get excited like the Samaritan guy. I'm going to tell my work colleague about Jesus because they've had a bad experience. If they're so venomous towards church and so venomous towards God because of a bad experience at a Christian school or another Christian colleague or a church they went to, we don't go, oh, I'm, not, I'm going to withhold the gospel from you because of your bad experience. We get to go, I get to give it you a God who is love because of your bad experience. I think that this world and this nation is ripe for the gospel right now because of the religion that they've been fed Lacking a savior. So what some people call our greatest problem, I call our greatest opportunity. Our greatest opportunity is that they do know about Jesus. We're not going to a foreign nation that's never heard about him. They do know about Jesus. They do know about the cross. At Christmas time, they do hear the carols. They do know that a savior was born to come and save the world. They get it. They just haven't received the heart of the gospel. We get to do that. If we can change our perspective, then suddenly talking to our friends at work or our unsaved family members, it's not a have to and it's not a here's the what. But imagine if we lived and breathed and showed the why did Jesus come. You don't need to tell them about the 12-hour excruciating torture he went through. Why? What about his love for humanity that was so deep that nothing could stop him? What about his love for humanity? Romans 5, 8 says that even when we were enemies, Romans 5, 10, we were enemies of his. He showed us his love by coming and dying on the cross. When we live and breathe and show the why, suddenly the gospel's very appealing like it's meant to be. Suddenly the gospel's very exciting. It is a light on a hill like it says it was going to be. It is. No one lights it, puts it under a basket. What are you thinking? That's not the what of the gospel. That's the why did Jesus come. And we live for the why because he loves people. Jesus loves people. And if we can catch that, then those people who can frustrate us or can shun us or hate us or insult us or turn their backs on us or pay us out at work, suddenly we see God at work in their heart. We see the why. We see God doing something here. Just like this story. I, I love the story of the Good Samaritan. I, I love this story so much because of the, the wild approach Jesus takes with it. It is so offensive what Jesus is saying in this story. If you really stop and read what's happening here, it is so offensive to religious people. That's why I love it because I am prone to be a religious person. I've been raised in church. I've been here a long time. I now work for church full time. I, I am prone, if I don't watch myself, to get caught up in the what of what church does. And the what is the law. The, law is, the what is the yes or the no. The, the, the what is this and that. We have to keep coming back to the why. And Jesus is, is taking these people caught up in the what and saying, here's when they missed out. Here's where they forgot the why. He first shows us a priest. 
This is a respected person in the church. This is a, it's a priest for crying out loud. He says, Jesus, Jesus says, this priest saw someone so beaten up they were half dead. Lying by the side of the road, they were half dead. And decides to just keep on walking. See, the first person that Jesus is trying to show us, the, the first person in the, pe- the crowd of people listening, the first person he's trying to address is, hey, are you here thinking that you are holy based off who you don't hang out with? Who you don't associate yourself with? Who you won't get your hands dirty for? Do you think you have a close relationship with God because of who you distance yourself from? Jesus is rebuking such a person. Right, that's confronting to me. I don't know about you. Anyone else? When I think about certain people, I'm like, I can't associate with them. What if someone from church sees me? I can't associate with that. What if I, what if I get my hands dirty? I've got, I've got to read the scriptures tomorrow. I've got to roll that scroll out. What if I've still got blood stains on here? They might think I was in a bar fight or something like that. I can't go and get my hands dirty. It's, uh, I better, it's safer for me to keep my presence to keep my appearance of being a, a respected Christian leader, it is easier for me to not engage with that person's life. Then no one will get confused of what's going on. Jesus highlights this in a rebuke. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can distance ourselves from certain sinners and certain people not coming to church and certain people just, just stay in this healthy, safe Christian bubble because it's pretty. No, I just hang out with my connect group and I just do Bible studies and I just go to church constantly and uh, I, I love my life. God loves me because I don't associate with these people. Do you remember when we started this preaching series three weeks ago? There was, we had to point out how much God wants us to be around those people and there's a difference between um, compromise and relevance. We had to point that out when we looked at the lost sheep. You know, in going looking for that lost sheep, we had to highlight, because sometimes some Christians do this poorly, we had to highlight that there's a difference between, oh, I'm going to go and get drunk to reach my friends. I'm going to go and sleep around so that girl that I'm sleeping with might get saved. Maybe not. I haven't told her about Jesus yet, but he's, he's, he does all the work anyway. I'm going to go and immerse myself in that lifestyle to try and see them saved. And there's a difference between being in the world and of the world. We chatted on. There's a difference between compromising your faith and bringing your faith and living your faith. And that's what this guy didn't get. He thought he was accepted to God by God based off who he didn't engage with. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is like, no, no, he missed the point. He's not being a neighbor. In Jesus' word, he wasn't being a neighbor. He wasn't loving his neighbor as himself, which is the most important command. The second person he goes on, which I think um, relates to so many more people I know, myself included, the version I was, uh, I was doing my study, and it says that he, he get, comes up close, a Levite comes up close to him, and when he sees him, he crosses the road and continues on his way. It's people who get really close to an issue, yet then don't engage with it. People who get close enough to see what's going on, but don't do anything to help. I've been this person. I've met this person. I deal with these people. They get so close. Church should be giving more money away to the poor. Are you giving? It's not what I asked. It's not what I said, all right? Church should be be educating those with an education. Are you doing anything about it? 
I'm going to cross the road. That's not what I said. I just said the church should be doing it. I'm over here. I don't want to engage with the problem. The church should be feeding more people. The church should be discipling more people. The church should be providing more Bible studies. The church should be doing deeper teacher, teaching on a Sunday. The church shouldn't be doing deep teaching on a Sunday to, to be relevant. The church should have more lights. The church shouldn't have flashy lights. The church should, the church should, the church should. And they don't engage with the issue to help. And they I'm big on language. I always listen for language. The church should. And they forget they are the church. It's even funnier now the day we live in. You can can watch this. They'll even post things on social media just constantly. Ah, Hashtag pray for whatever, France. Oh, there was another tragedy overseas. Hashtag pray for this. Hashtag pray for that. Awesome. I'll join you in prayer if you're praying. Church could do that. Cool. Are you gonna, do you have time to make it to a prayer meeting at all, like any of them? And we can join. Oh, no, no, I don't have time for that. Social media. Oh, we should, be, we should be feeding these people. We should be helping these people. We should be discipling these people. And I've noticed something. I had to teach myself something a few years ago. It might help you as well. That just because someone's loud doesn't mean they should be listened to. Just because someone's loud doesn't mean they have something to say. See, I, I, I don't, you might be offended by this, but it's just the way I do things. I don't have the volume turned up the same for everyone in our church. I'm looking for people who are really hands-on. I'm looking for people engaging in the mission of God in some capacity. And so when they say something, there's people here I've opened up so much of my life to because the volume's turned right up because I can see they're so engaged. Pastor Graham, to the extent of if I'm preaching wrong, if I'm treating Hannah wrong, if there's anything wrong, I've opened up to Pastor Graham so much, I'm like, speak into my world. The volume's turned that high. There's other people when they're like, you, you don't do this well enough. I'm like, Keep talking. Sounds beautiful. Wait there, I'm just going to play some Spotify as well. I don't listen to everyone the same. I'm sorry, you might not like that, but I'm not looking for who's got a loud voice. I'm looking for who's there when they see the issue, who's willing to get their hands dirty and help. Jesus didn't say, greater love has no one than this. than to get really close to issues and tell everyone else what they should be doing and walk away. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down your life for someone else. And we get confronted, and there's so many people, please hear what I'm saying and not saying, our church is filled with people getting their hands dirty. Every week, Friday, cooking lunch for the people over there, putting food boxes together, our Friday service yesterday, doing the Genuine Love Renovation, every event. There are people who give hundreds of hours to our event to proclaim the gospel and present it in this beautiful way. Connect leaders, midweek running connect groups, in connect groups. We have so many incredible people in our church, getting their hands dirty, getting a part of the issue and experiencing joy. As I was saying before, they experience joy in doing that. And all I'm trying to help us is nev- let's never get to the point we retire from action. <laughs> let's never get to the point we retire from action so I can see what's wrong and I can tell you what's wrong, but I'm not going to help you with what's wrong. I don't know if you're feeling really convicted or something, but no one's talking to me at all. And so let's, let's never be a church who can identify what's wrong in Corumba and yet do nothing about it. Let's never be a community 
Hey, guys, this, this community needs this. This community needs this. And then we don't do anything. Please. There's, I know the issues in our church better than you. I work here full time. My phone is constantly going off with people telling me what they're not happy with. I get it. I'm okay with it. I just want to know, are you with us in helping make that better? Don't cross the street and start shouting at me. There's a dead guy back there. He's really hurt. Okay. Pastor dead. Not looking good, buddy. It's wounded. Blood everywhere. It's gross. I'm going to go get a burrito. See you later. I, I know the issues. I know the issues. Trust me. I, I know the issues. Will you help me? Because the third person Jesus brings up, he doesn't use words incorrectly. So he goes out of his way. It went from priest to Levite. Then it doesn't even go to, remember, that's a tribe, all the Levites. Remember that? They were the priests. And so then there's the appointed priest, the tribe of priests, Levite. It doesn't even go to Jew. He goes to something so outcast, so disgusting. And then there was a Samaritan. If you're not familiar with scripture, he doesn't even go to Gentile. There's Gentiles and Jews. These are God's people, the Jewish people. Gentiles is everyone else. If you're not a Jew here this morning, that's you and I would fit into that. And then there were Samaritans who were the, the outcasts. When a Jew and a Gentile had started a family together, they, they, that was Samaritans. They were the, the mix. They were the out. No one liked them. And so Jesus goes out of his way and said, oh, and then there was a Samaritan. Someone despised by you, someone not accepted by you, someone socially you wouldn't even, you would frown upon, that you wouldn't, you would look down on this kind of person. But they went and got their hands dirty. So he stopped, he, he physically bound up the wounds, he, pay, he put him on his dog, took him to the place and paid money to get the guy better. And then he said, hey, if he costs any more, I'll come back tomorrow and pay the rest of the bill. This guy was like, nothing's too hard. And he was an outcast. He was despised by the meant-to-be-religious people. Look down on you, you Samaritan dog. How dare you clean up that person. Filthy. And this guy is complimented and praised by our God because of what he does. That blows me away. If you're getting praised by God, you're doing pretty good. This outcast is getting praised by God because of what he does. His actions. He actually gets his hands dirty. See, C.S. Lewis says it like this. I'm not sure if that quote was up. I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It changes how we think about things. He says, every single human you know. Think about it right now. Think, apply this quote. Think of every, every person, your, your family members right now. Think about them. Think about people you work with. Like get faces in mind. He said, you need to see that every person you know is immortal. Isn't that a game changer? No matter what decisions they make in this life, no matter what they do, they will live forever. We just have a say in where. They spend eternity. What a confronting quote, right? Sometimes I thank God for C.S. Lewis. Other times I try to turn the page really quick so I don't read what he has to say. They're immortal. So I can sit there and I can be like, oh, I'd love to tell you about Jesus, but you've had a bad experience, so I'm just going to keep that to myself. I don't want any you know, weird 
feelings between us at work or school. I just don't want it to feel uncomfortable. And that person is immortal. They will live for eternity. But we don't know where. But we do have a say. This Samaritan's not message to the guy, but actions. And what Jesus Christ complimented as that is the neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not the same kind, not people who like what you like, not people who were born where you were born, not people who, who speak how you speak, not people who live their life how you live your life, even they're the exact opposite. But you treat them well. You love them. You're being a neighbor to them. It's incredible to me. That kills religion to me. I, I love this story so much because it's so offensive to the guy in verse 29, as we read, trying to justify himself, trying to do God out of his one job. God died on the cross to justify you, to get you to heaven. Trying to justify himself, trying to make himself look holy. Jesus just slaps him in the face. The thing we have to finish with is that looking at this story, sometimes we can simply read it through the lens of, well, how, how do I treat people? And here's the game changer. I don't evangelize to the people right now that I'm evangelizing to. I can, I, I can think of nine that I've got written down that I'm praying for when I see them. I'm trying to get them into church. I don't evangelize by looking at these three categories, if I'm honest, and, and picking the better one, the good Samaritan. Here's, here's, the, here's my why here's my drive you ready jesus was the good samaritan not you you and i were the person beat up lying half dead on the side of the road we couldn't help ourselves religion didn't help us the law didn't help us priest and levite they didn't help us a savior helped us Someone who came down as an outcast. Someone who John chapter 1 verses 11 said and his own people rejected him. An outcast came as a good Samaritan. And it wasn't just what he said, it was what he did. Jesus came. He bound up our wounds. He, he, he paid the price we couldn't pay. He carried us to a place to get better. Jesus Christ is the good Samaritan for me. And now I get an opportunity. He says at the end, well, you go and do likewise. You want to be a good Samaritan this Christmas? We'll get ready to finish. If you, you want to be a good Samaritan this Christmas, please, I, I beg you, don't think of what you have to do. I beg you. I beg you. Don't think of what. I've got to invite three people to the Christmas service, December 16. I've got to do Just forget about it. Trust me, forget about it. You want to be a good Samaritan? Always remember the Why? You were left for dead. The law and religion left you for dead. And Jesus Christ came along, helped you, attended to you, looked after you, and paid the price you could not pay. The Good Samaritan doesn't come up to the guy who was half dead and said, hey, here's your bill. Here's what you owe me. I know that you couldn't help yourself at the time, but now here's what you owe me. There was none of that. He paid the price. And this guy gets healed. This guy is, is made whole. 
from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You and I experience wholeness when we rest in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. I keep saying this to keep it in here, to get it in here. It's not evangelism. It's not a program. It's about seeing people out there. No matter how happy they look, no matter how together it looks, knowing they need Jesus and knowing that only He can make them whole. And we're not bringing them to a service. We're not bringing them to an altar. We're not bringing them to an event. We're not bringing them to anything but Jesus. So at Christmas, at Easter, next Sunday, just a day in the week, we focus on bringing them to Jesus. The worst fear of mine is that someone could fall in love with our church and come here every week and stay here the rest of their life and never experience Jesus Christ. It's my greatest fear. We're not trying to build an organization. We're trying to help people come to Jesus. For the one. He died for the one. On the cross, we see that. We've never seen it so clearly. As everyone turns their back, one person repents. He says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like, what a picture of his heart. It doesn't say everyone repented. That's what we would want. But we see one. And Jesus just rewards, just grace just flows. No law. There's no you have to's. There's no how much you owe me. It's just pure grace. Today, all right, you repent. Today you'll be with me then. My prayer, I know I've said it a lot, but I really want you to catch it. My prayer is that you would be filled with a confidence, a real confidence. I just, okay, right now, before I get into that, sorry, just picture someone. Picture your one, a loved one, a friend, family member, work colleague, whatever it is. Picture one person, just one person you are so eager to see in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just focus on that person for a moment. My prayer is that you would be convinced that Jesus wants to help them and save them more than you do. I need you to be convinced of that. I need you to be convinced that God desires all to come to salvation. He's longing for this person to turn to Him. Receive His grace. Receive His healing. Receive His finished payment on the cross. Receive all those free gifts and be made whole. He's longing for that to happen. Romans 10, 13 to 15. It says, well, how can anyone be saved unless we tell them? And how can we tell them unless we feel like we've been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who have been sent. God is looking for people to know they've been sent. Christian, He wants to save your loved one through you more than you do it just takes us being confident enough bold enough 
to open our mouth, to pay any price, to be the hands and feet, to do whatever it takes to see that person saved.